0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Let's get into the sermon, shall we? Are you ready for the Word of God? Tap somebody next to you and say, let's go. It's going to be fun this morning. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time, we are in week four, cuatro, of a series that we started a couple of weeks ago entitled, Affectionately and Aggressively, Not My Job, Know Your Role and Don't Play God. Uh, if you are no, new, let me catch you up to speed. Uh, we've been talking about some of the jobs that Christians attempt to do on God's behalf. Some of the things that only God is created to do, yet somehow on our journey of faith, we begin to take control of these areas or try to do God's job on his behalf and end up failing miserably in the process, hurting ourselves hurt, hurting other people and so The goal of this series is very simple, to get us to quit doing some of those jobs, to stop trying to be God and play God, but ultimately to allow Him to be who He's promised to be and to understand our role in the process of telling people about Jesus or sharing the gospel with a hurting world. We want to know what our role is in all of that. And so uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a few different subjects. Week one, we discussed the subject of conviction. Uh, It is not the church's job to go out and convict the world of their sin. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is really good at his job in that area, and we determined that our job when it comes to conviction is to drop the rocks and to let love lead us, because ultimately all of us are here, all of us who are following Jesus are not here because God aggressively disciplined us into following him, but because he loved us first, and through love our lives have been transformed. Uh, In week two, we talked about the idea of the fruit of righteousness and how we are incapable in and of ourselves of producing fruit. Fruit production is not our job, but ultimately, Ultimately, our role is to make sure that we have the right environment in our lives so that God can produce fruit. Whether that's the people we're hanging around or uh, the stuff we're watching, the stuff we're listening to, we need to make sure that our lives can cultivate the kind of environment where fruit can be produced. And then last week, we talked about just a really light, friendly subject called vengeance. And uh, we determined that vengeance is ultimately God's job. In fact, there's chapter and verse for that multiple times in scripture. God says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And we determine that when we find ourselves desiring revenge or when someone's done something evil to us, that our role, according to Romans chapter 12, is to overcome evil with good, to respond oppositely to the way that people are responding to us. And in so doing, we pour hot coals over the top of their head. And if you're here for the first time and that sounds spiteful and mean, trust me, it's not. Go back and listen to the message. It's actually a blessing and not a curse. Uh, today, we are going to continue on in this chat and I'm excited about today's subject because I think that it will resonate with all of us in the room. In fact, I think today's subject matter is something that all of us are facing even as we sit in this room or as we're watching online today. Something that in our Western Bay Area, rugged individual, individualistic culture, we struggle with constantly and that is trusting God to do his job in the area of provision. Today, we're talking about provision. Provision. Ultimately, provision is an only God kind of job. And let me clarify what I mean by that contextually because usually when you say that word in church, when you say provision in this setting, immediately everybody's mind goes to money. In fact, someone's thinking, dang it, I did not wanna bring my friend to church on the first week and y'all talk about money. So fear not, that's not the entirety of the conversation today. Although perhaps the appropriate application for some of us to this conversation would be to entrust God as our provider, or excuse me, entrust the job of provision, provision to God. Uh, but money is, far, or is not the only subject that provision finds itself talking about. Like, in fact, provision is far, much farther reaching than our wallets. Uh, by definition, the word provide means to supply for a need. That simple. So let me just check, how many of y'all got needs? Y'all got needs, okay. Uh, I saw a wife elbow her husband, I have needs, okay? And you are not meeting them, yes. I have needs, we all got needs. And our provision for those needs is gonna look different based on the unique nature of our needs. If you are confused, then provision looks like clarity. If you are sick in your body, then provision looks like healing. If you are anxious or you are uh, vexed about tomorrow, then provision looks like peace. If you are addicted or you are bound, then provision looks like freedom. If you are single, then provision looks like a man or it looks like a woman, or it looks like a new wardrobe so that you can get a man or you can get a woman. And yes, if you are broke and you can't pay your bills, can't pay your telephone bills, can't pay your automobiles, then provision looks like resources, it looks like finances. Ultimately, the unique nature of your need determines what provision looks like for you. And what we need for every need is an only God kind of provision. Ultimately, at the end of the day, only God can provide peace that will sustain. Only God can provide true healing for your body. Only God can provide freedom for what is entangling you or entrapping you. Only God can provide for those needs. And the reason only God can provide for those needs is because provision is not just something that God does. Ultimately, provision is who God is. It is his very name. If you look throughout scripture, you'll find a bunch of different names for God, and he's really good at naming himself. Uh, He's got names like Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing, or Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. And when it comes to provision, he calls himself Jehovah Yireh, the God that provides, unless of course you're from the deep south, in which case it's Jehovah Jireh, my Kentucky friend from the second row, yes. (laughs) Jehovah Jireh, my provider, yeah ultimately that's what God calls himself. He calls himself the God of provision. And if that is who he is, if that is by nature his character and he is our provider, then my hope today, by the time we conclude this morning, is that, all of us would find ourselves capable of releasing the job of provision back to the very one who calls himself our provider and stop attempting to do his job as we learn our role in this whole process. So let me pray. And as I do, uh, I'm going to give you a title and we will jump into this. I want to call this chat. It's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Uh, Let's pray. Holy spirit speak to us today. Um, We We did not come to church to check a box and say we came to a religious gathering and make ourselves feel better about what we're facing or make ourselves feel better about what we're lacking. We came here because we believe that ultimately your presence and your word have the power to change us. Right now, as we go to the text and we look at what your word has to say, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts and our minds individually, specifically about what we're facing. And as it pertains to this subject, Lord, we ask that you would change our perspective it would help us to see things the way you've called us to see them according to your word and that we would let you do your job as our provider in jesus name amen amen uh, i want to look at this portion of text uh, in fact it's a portion of text in all four of the gospels matthew mark luke and john little bible trivia uh, there are only 10 events that are mentioned in all four of the new testament gospels Uh, And the reason those four events are mentioned in the New Testament gospels, excuse me, 10 events are are mentioned in the four gospels, is because the, the gospel writers ultimately determined that these particular events were so foundational to the formation of our faith that they had to be included in their account. And so you can search through and find these 10 events, most of them surrounding the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But today's context, we're gonna be talking about the only miracle that actually shows up in all four of the Gospels, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, I've taken it upon myself to mash all four of the accounts together. So if you normally follow along in a Bible on a Sunday morning, um, I'm going to ask you to follow along on the screen. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, if I can mash them all together. That might be a grave error in the way that we approach Scripture. If so, you can report me to the authorities. Uh, But... You can also go back and read all four of them if you'd like, and you can find little details that one doesn't have and the other one does in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, and then in John chapter 6. But I've mashed them together for you, so turn your attention to the screen, and we'll start here. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "'Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest.'" So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, Jesus came to his, or his disciples came to him and said, "This is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food." And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away, you guys give them something to eat. The disciples replied, sure thing, Jesus, I just scratched off a $10 scratcher and I found millions of dollars and I am more than happy to provide for all these people's needs. No, the disciples replied, with what? (laughs) We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Well, how much bread do you have, Jesus asked. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Well, there's a young boy over here with five loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd Bring him here to me, Jesus said, a.k.a. jump that kid and steal his lunch. Great job, Jesus. Uh, Then he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 doggy bags of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. That is an epic story. It is an absolutely incredible story in scripture. Uh, in fact, based on what Jesus did here, a little side note, I wanted to title this chat, I'm about to break in an ode to Lincoln Park. Uh, but I was afraid that I would date myself by doing that. So instead we called it, it's out of my hands. But I love this story. I feel like every time I read it, it's just, it's one of those stories that comes alive to me in scripture. Let me just check how many have heard this story before. Okay. Uh, how, how many have heard it more than once? Okay, how many have heard somebody preach on this story before? Okay, how many are not going to raise your hand no matter what I tell? Okay, no, just... <laughs> Yeah, most of this room has heard this story before. Most of us have heard somebody teach on this story before. You might even say that we are familiar with this text. But there is a danger with familiarity. One of the dangers of familiarity is that we can begin to dismiss the fact that God might actually speak something fresh to us from a familiar text, Often when we come to the Bible and we're like, "Ah, I've read that before and I've heard that before, we begin to dismiss the possibility that maybe, just maybe God would speak something different to us today from that text. In fact, if you're anything like me and you've sat through some sermons before, some of you are probably sitting there going like, okay, I heard the inflection in his voice as he was reading the scripture, I heard the title, I already know where he's gonna go with this sermon. You're already drawing those conclusions in your head. And so you might go, oh, this is going to be a great sermon for some of the new people. But as for me, you know, in my, my vetted Christianity, I'm going to just sit back and maybe he'll tell a few jokes and amuse me. But this Sunday's not for me. Au contraire. <laughs> I think that the word of God always has the possibility to speak to us, regardless of how many times we've heard it before. And I want to appeal to you, if I could, before we get too, too much further into this text, I want to appeal and ask, would you open up your heart and your mind today to maybe receive something new from the Holy Spirit? My prayer all week long is that the familiar would become personal to many of us today. One of the most important things we can do as we approach Scripture is to personalize it. We've been talking about this in our group studies uh, for the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about how to study the Bible. We need to insert ourselves into the Scripture and just imagine what it would be like to be walking in these settings and what what would God be saying to us? And so for the next couple of moments, I'd like to do that together if we could. I wanna go on a journey, and I wanna insert ourselves into this story. Not my normal preaching style, but I think it will really help us to understand how much God was doing for his disciples through his disciples through this text. So for the sake of the next couple of moments, you are a disciple. The year is AD 29. You've got your, your sandals, and your, your robe, your toga, Some of you still have that from your college days. Eating falafels, hanging out with Jesus, seeing miracles. Like this is amazing, life is good. And Jesus sends you and your buddies out and you just get back from doing some incredible ministry and people are getting healed as you're preaching and people are coming to the kingdom. like, how did I end up here, man? I I had no idea that Jesus could use me like this. I was a hood rat, now I'm part of the crew. Like, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, life is good, but you come back to Jesus and you're telling about everything that's been going on and you realize, man, I haven't eaten. Scripture tells us in this story that they are starving. They, they've been doing so much work that they haven't even had time to eat. And you're like, gosh, I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry. And Jesus sees that you're famished. He sees that you're weary. And he says, guys, why don't we take a break? Let's go away to a private place by ourselves and let's get some rest. Jump on the boat. We'll head over to the other side of the lake. Grab some umbrella drinks. We'll recline. It's gonna be good. Like, yeah. So you and your friends get on the boat. I'm on a boat. And you begin to head over on the lake. And as you land on the shores of the other side, instead of rest and relaxation and tranquility awaiting you, there is a massive crowd. The Bible says 5,000 men, not including their families. Most theologians agree that uh, since they didn't in- include the women and children, there could have been a crowd of upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people there waiting for Jesus on the other side of the lake. For perspective, uh, the new Chase Arena, it holds 18,000 people. So imagine playoffs. Everybody's stacked in there, every seat is sold. People are waiting for Curry to come out, just like they're waiting for Jesus. The place is electric, ready to go. Not that Curry's Jesus, just to be clear, all right? Get your theology straight. (laughs) The place is packed and they're waiting for Jesus. And suddenly, instead of Jesus being concerned about the needs of you and your friends, your hunger, your exhaustion, He seems to ignore you and turn his attention to the crowd. The scripture says that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And instead of attending to your needs, he begins to attend to their needs. The Bible says he starts to preach to them and preach to them and preach to them. As some of you experience here on a Sunday morning, he just kept on talking (laughs) as preachers do. An hour goes by, two hours, five hours go by, The church service is still happening and Jesus is still preaching. The disciples are frustrated. They're starving at this point. Originally it was they were hungry. Now they're like, I will kill somebody. I need to eat right now. They are hangry, ready to go. But they're keenly aware of the fact that Jesus ignored their needs to tend to the people. And so they devise a plan. They say, well, Jesus doesn't seem to care too much about us, but he likes the people. So let's go tell Jesus that the people are hungry, all right? If we tell him the people are hungry, maybe he'll dismiss this thing and we can go get some food. And so, you know, you meander up to Jesus. You're like, hey, sorry to interrupt. Um, hey, Jesus, real quick. Um, great sermon, by the way. My goodness. I love how you were able to take an entire series of sermons and fit them all into this one really long sermon. Um, I love it. I'm getting so much out of it. But we had a thought. It's getting late. We're in this remote place. Ah." Uh, The people look a little bit hungry. You see that guy over there? See, he's starting to kind of faint a little bit. Like, he needs some nutrients. We need to get him fed. So, why don't we dismiss this thing? Let the people go get some food. We could run it back tomorrow. They can come back and hear you preach again. But, I mean, the people are hungry. We should let them go. And Jesus looks back at you and he says, Oh, the people are hungry, huh? Yeah, yeah. People are starving. Okay. Um, I have a better idea. You know, I just have so much left to teach. Why don't you and your friends go get all 18,000 of those people some food? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, you you go get them some food. Uh, Como? Yeah, yeah, you feed them. I'm going to go back to teaching. You go, okay, Jesus. And you turn around to go give the bad news to your friends. Suddenly, you have a problem on your hands. There is a need, and you don't seem to have the provision necessary to meet that need. Now, for the sake of this illustration, let's pretend we don't know what happens next in the story, and you actually attempt to accomplish what Jesus has just told you. You actually try to go out and feed 18,000 people. So you go back to the disciples, and you're like, all right, guys, we got a problem. Uh, Jesus said we're supposed to feed all these people. I have no idea what we're supposed to do, and Andrew, you said you saw some kid with a lunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, go jump that kid and steal his lunch, and let's, let's see what we got. Okay, so uh, we got the kid's lunch. We have one, we have two, we have three, four, five loaves, okay? And we've got um, two little fishies. Okay, we got five loaves and two fish. Eighteen thousand five. five. Matthew, you were a tax dude, right? So can you do some math real quick? Like, divide this up. How many people per for, for each loaf? And Matthew's calculating, uh, 3,600. Okay, 3,600 people per each loaf. 9,000 per fish, 3,600 per loaf. Okay. So, so you take what little you have and you actually attempt to accomplish what Jesus has just told you to do. You start going around. You're like, hey, uh, you take a little piece right there. Just, just 3,600 people. Okay, just a little piece right there. Just real quick. All right, so will take a little piece real quick. Just, yeah, just a little piece right there. Okay, I'm gonna grab some of that real quick. So, thank you. Okay, right here. just... Oh, are you carb loading? You better calm down, bro. I got 3,600 people. All right, come on. Oh, it's for both of y'all. Okay, I get you. Trying to take my bread. (laughs) And crumb by crumb by crumb, you attempt to meet the need of your problem. But as you ration what little you have, you discover in the process. There's no way that I can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. There is no way that what I have is sufficient for the need that I'm facing. If you're taking notes, write this down. My provisions are never enough. My provisions are never enough. Anytime we try to provide for our own peace, Anytime we try to provide for our own comfort, our own clarity, our own wisdom, our own future, our own resources, we quickly discover that what we have is completely insufficient. We always end up needing more because we were never created to provide for ourselves. It seems absolutely ridiculous to consider the idea that a disciple would take a loaf of bread like this and try to feed 3,600 people or five loaves and serve 18,000 people. Nobody in their right mind would attempt to do that, and yet we do it so often in the spirit. Anytime we try to provide for our own peace by self-medicating, we drop the pills, we take the drink, we try to avoid and distract ourselves in hopes that we won't actually have to deal with the problem and thinking that that's gonna provide some kind of fabricated peace, you know what that is? It's living on crumbs. Anytime you try to make it happen for your career, instead of letting God lead your future and you're like, this is what I'm gonna do and these are the people I'm gonna mow over to get there and this is who I'm gonna sweet talk and this is how I'm gonna work my way to, I'm a self-made independent, you're living on crumbs. You're settling for opportunities that are not the God opportunities. Anytime you try to lead your life lead your future, lead your family without the counsel of God's word on a daily basis, without the voice of God through prayer on a regular basis, all you've got is your counsel and your word and your advice. You are living on meager rations. They are crumbs compared to what God has for us. Whenever we try to do it on our own, provide on our own, make it happen on our own, it is like crumbs to a crowd. It is insufficient for the task that is at hand. And yet, for some reason in our humanity, even though we've experienced the reality of insufficiency, we try and try and try to continue to provide for ourselves, only to end up famished, starving, and incapable of doing what God has asked us to do. But if we will stop for just a moment, if we will acknowledge the fact, I do not have what it takes. I cannot provide for myself. If we will stop for just a moment and realize that what we have is insufficient, Jesus will grant us an opportunity to allow him to become once again our provider, to reinstate him as his job description declares about him. And it's the same opportunity he offered to the disciples. When they looked at what they had and said, there is no way that this is going to feed the crowd, he offered something to them. He said, okay, you got a problem? Bring your problem here to me. Bring your insufficiency to me. Bring your lack to me. Get it out of your hands and place it into my hands. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's your role as it pertains to provision. It's very simple. You have to hand it over. Hand whatever you have over to God. Get it out of your hands and into his hands. As long as it remains in your hands, the relationship will be lacking, the resources will be lacking, the clarity will be lacking, the wisdom will be lacking. But the moment we come to this place where we acknowledge, "Ah, I cannot do this any longer, and we hand it over to him, something significant happens. The disciples brought what they had over to Jesus. They said, Lord, we do not have what it takes. And they handed it over to him. And what did he do? The Bible says that he blessed it. He held it up to heaven. And he prayed a very simple prayer. If any of you watched the Chosen series, which I highly recommend, it's absolutely incredible. You've heard this prayer before. There's nothing magical about the prayer. Jesus held the piece of bread up to heaven. and He said, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread of the earth and he prayed this very simple Jewish prayer, and then the Bible says that he broke it, and he handed it back to the disciples to distribute to the people. Now, if I'm a disciple, and Jesus just tells me to take half of what I just gave to him, and to go hand it out, I'm like, are you sure you're done praying? Because this thing looks a little small still, all right? I have even less than I had to begin with. (laughs) No, 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 it's blessed. You, You go hand it out now. Okay. Now, if we're not careful, what we will picture happening next is actually not what happens next. In fact, a little disclosure here. Up until this week, I completely misunderstood the next events in this story. What I thought, what I saw in my brain playing out was Jesus hands the piece of bread to the disciples, and the disciples, they begin to go out and start breaking off bread. Sorry if I hit you with some bread. And they start handing it out to people. And as they're handing it out to people, by the time they get to the end of the loaf, all of a sudden, sorry. (laughs) It's like feeding ducks, it's great. (laughs) By the time they get to the end of the loaf, in my mind, here's what happened. The loaf grows. Like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And they just start throwing out more. But that's not actually what happened. That's not what Scripture teaches. Permit me to go a little bit deeper for just a moment. Can we do that? Okay. Verb tense in any language is important, not just in the Greek language, which was affectionately pointed out to me by my friend Carlos last service. But verb tense is very important. If you don't understand the verb tense inside of a sentence, the structure of that sentence, you can misapply, especially Scripture. And think it's saying something that it's not actually saying. And in this case, verb tense is very important. When the Bible says that Jesus gave the bread to his disciples after he had blessed it, the tense of that verb in the Greek is the active imperfect tense. Now, that may not mean much to most of us, but ultimately the active, uh, active in, uh, yes, that tense of the verb, imperfect tense, active imperfect tense. It means that the event did not just take place one time. It actually took place over time and over and over again. In other words, when Jesus broke the bread and he handed it to his disciples, they went out and they distributed their portions. But once that ran out, they had to come back to Jesus and they had to get another portion so that they could go back out and do it again. And then they had to come back to Jesus and do it over and over again and over. Again, this is why it says in the New Living Translation in the book of Mark chapter 6 that Jesus kept handing the bread over to the disciples. Let me say it like this. As long as what the disciples originally entrusted to Jesus remained in his hands, then it remained blessed and capable of providing for their needs. The original resource did not become the possession of the disciple The resource had to remain in the possession of the master. Now, that might sound like an insignificant detail, but let me explain to you why I think that is massively important as we begin to apply this scripture. Some of us are really good at handing things over to Jesus in times of crisis, but when things start to go well again, we take it back into our possession. Someone's, oh, the the bills are going to be paid, I'm foreclosing the house, and I I can't pay the bills, and so we, we give God a one time offering here's my money, Jesus. Here's the tithe. And then all of a sudden everything gets paid and you're like, fine, I'm gonna take that back now. I know friends of mine who have prayed when their child was in terminal condition and they were waiting for the inevitable death sentence and they prayed for a miracle and they recommitted their lives to Jesus and I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. I promise you, please heal my kid. And miraculously, the kid gets healed and now they're nowhere to be found on a Sunday morning. People entrust things to the master and then they take them back when things are good. Some of us who are single, well, I'm not single. Some of you who are single, thank God I'm not single. (laughs) You'll entrust your purity to Jesus in a time of need. Oh, I promise I'll consecrate myself to you, God, and it's between me and you. And then all of a sudden you start dating somebody, and while you're dating that somebody, your purity seems to fall off the wayside, and now your self-control is nowhere to be found, and you're engaging in things you shouldn't be engaging in because you've taken it back into your possession. We're really good at entrusting Jesus with things in crisis, but we seem to take those things back into our possession when things are going well. Hey, listen, Jesus is not interested in a transactional relationship with you. He is not interested in a one-time event where he, he provides for your need and then you never have to come back and see him again. He is far more interested in creating a dependency on him and his presence and his provision. So he is asking, will you entrust to me once and for all what is in your hands? He could have done what we thought he did with this miracle with the disciples, but he made them continue to come back over and over and over and over again because he needed them to see, I am your source, I am your provider, I am the resource that you return. And as long as you continue to come back to me, you will have what you need for the problem. This is why in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they had to go out every single day to gather the bread. God could have given them manna in their tent. They could have had a loaf sitting in the tent that grew every single night and was sufficient again the next morning. But God said, I want you to get out of your tent. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. And I want you to come out to meet me right there in the wilderness. And if you will realize that I am your provider, that I can make this happen and you can't make this happen on your own, I will continue to provide for every single one of your needs. God wants our dependency. He he wants us to consistently entrust these things to his hands. And and if we will, then he will be who he's promised. He will be our provider. Listen, I do this every single day of my life. Every day when I wake up in the morning and and I pray, I come to God and I say, Lord, I I don't have what it takes to lead this family. I don't have what it takes to lead this church. I don't have what it takes to lead my life. I am handing all of this back over to you right now because I need your provision for my life. I do this every time I get paid. Every time a paycheck comes in, I come back to my computer and I say, Jesus, I thank you that you are my provider. I thank you that you have given me all that I need. And to prove that I am reliant on you and not on myself, I entrust once again a tenth of my income back to your hands as as scripture commands me to do. And in so doing, I am stating with my actions that I do not trust my job. I do not trust anybody else on this planet to provide for my needs, but I trust you as my provider. A couple dozen times last week, my wife and I found ourselves in a situation where we were dealing with a problem in the church and we didn't know how how to respond correctly and Time and time and time again, we came back to Jesus. We're like, Lord, I do not have what it takes to fix this problem. I don't have the the education, I don't have the experience, but I lay this in your hands. And I know that if I lay it in your hands, you will provide the answer that we need for this situation. Listen, as disciples, we have got to get good at getting things out of our hands and entrusting them back to the hands of the master so that he can do his job. And that's the decision you and I have before us. We have this decision every single day. Am I going to cling to what I have only to find that it's insufficient? Or am I willing to entrust it back to the capable hands of God? And so to that end, let me ask you a question. A confronting question, but a question that I think all of us need to consider. In light of all that we've discussed, let me ask you, What is still in your hands? And and I I worded that intentionally because I think, if you're anything like me, there's probably some things that Jesus has spoken to you about that you're still holding on to. There's some things that he's whispered in prayer, some things he's spoken to you as you've sat in in these chairs and, and, and during a sermon or during worship. He says, son, daughter, will you hand that over to me? And yet we may still find ourselves clinging to it. Maybe it is the money. Maybe it is the relationship. Maybe it is the family. I felt the Holy Spirit speak as I was preparing this that for some, it might be your freedom. You're still trying to make yourself free. And every week you hear, hey, your next step is water baptism because in the waters of baptism, there's a freedom that comes that is only available as we die to our old creation and we come up as a new creation in Christ. And that freedom is available to you. And every week there's a pitch. And every week there's some some apprehension there and and God's been speaking to you about it So, so again let me ask what is still in your hand and are you willing today to release it are you willing to hand it over and admit this is out of my hands already so I might as well get it out of my hands and entrust it to God because as you think about that question let me remind you, God is not obligated to bless what you do not bring. You can hold on to it, but he will not bless it. And I think there are far too many Christians that are praying prayers that are never going to get answered and that are holding out hope for things that are never going to come to pass because we're clinging to something that God is asking us to let go of. So, will you let it go today? Let it go. Let it go. Because he wants to be your Provider. But in order to do that, you have to hand it over. Now, last thought as we conclude, and I'll invite the band to come so that I can stop preaching. But I want to appeal to you one more time. Because again, I know this is this is familiar to many of you. Maybe you heard it in a different light today, but this story is not unfamiliar to most of us. And and if I could, for these last couple of seconds, I want to just appeal to you one more time. Allow the Holy Spirit to make this personal today. What is he saying to you? I love this quote from the theologian, William Barclay. He says, in whatever way we approach this miracle of Jesus, one thing is certain. We must never be content to regard it as something which happened. We must regard it as something which happens. It is not an isolated event in history. It is the demonstration of the always and forever operative power of Jesus Christ. This is still happening, people this is still happening every day of your life. Specifically, this is an event that happened that got you here in the first place. Let me me remind you of perhaps a deeper truth that might get lost in translation with this story. Yeah, while Jesus was in fact feeding 18,000 people with some bread and some fish in the Galilean countryside one day, ultimately this story points to a much greater reality that is very personal to every single one of us here. Because, About a year and some change after this event, Jesus would find himself not sitting among a crowd of 18,000, but sitting in a much more intimate setting with a few of his disciples at a table on Passover. And he would take another loaf of bread and he would hold it up to heaven and he would bless it. And he would break it and he would say, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that You no longer have to provide for your own righteousness. You no longer have to provide for your own future, your own salvation. Up until now, you've been trying to jump through all the hoops and do everything right in hopes that God would accept you. But no longer will that be your story. From this point forward, you are accepted because my body is going to be broken and I've been accepted by the Father. And if you put your trust in me, you'll be accepted just as I am. I'm blessing you with the provision of salvation because of my broken body. And in the same way that Jesus asked the disciples to come to him and to hand over their bread so that he could hold it up in heaven, Jesus would ultimately come to the Father on a cross and he would hand over his life to the Father. He would be lifted up and the blessed one would say with his own lips, Father, into your hands I commit my life. And now that my life is in your hands, it can be distributed to everybody who would put their faith and their trust in me and their salvation will be paid for. This is a much bigger story than we realize. This is not just about what little resource we have on this planet. This is about the greatest need humanity has ever had, the need for a savior. And if we have already trusted him with that, how much easier should it be to say jesus you can have all that i am all that i have because you've already provided for my greatest need what are you still holding are you willing to hand it over today and let him become jehovah jireh the god that provides let me pray for you as we conclude would you bow your heads when I wanna ask you to do something as we, as we finish up here. And I don't wanna put anybody on the spot, but I wanna take advantage of a holy moment if we could. In just a, a minute here, I'm gonna pray for all of those that might find themselves at a distance from Jesus. And we'll make sure that we invite them in today. But before that, I wanna pray for all of us. And if you would say today, hey, Tim, the last couple of moments, um, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about something that I've been holding on to and I need to release to him. Would you do me a quick favor? And just with a physical posture, would you quickly lift both hands up to heaven as a sign of surrendering that to Jesus today? And I wanna pray. I wanna pray over you as you make that decision. Yeah, lots of us today. Father, would you see every single one of these lifted hands? Almost like we're handing something over to you today. And as you receive what we hand over, I thank you in advance that you are going to bless it and you're going to distribute whatever we need to meet our needs. For those that have found themselves in a season where it seems like it's been impossibly difficult to hand this thing over to you, I pray for the strength to come back again and again and again as the active imperfect tense suggests of the verb, that they would continue to come back to you, Jesus, and they would hand it over to you. Tomorrow morning when they try to take it back, they're gonna hand it over. On Friday, when they try to take it back, they're gonna hand it over again. Because in your hands, we will ultimately have whatever we need. You can put your hands down. One more group of people I wanna pray for before we conclude. And that is for those that would say, hey, as you were sharing there at the end about the broken bread and the salvation that's been made available to me, to, available to me through Jesus, that is my need today. That That's where, where I'm living. Maybe, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before and to hand your life over to Him. Or maybe you have in the past, but like we talked about earlier, you've grabbed it back and you've tried to take control of your, your life once again, but you know that you need to surrender to the Savior once again. I wanna pray with you before we get out of here. and I'm gonna say a very simple prayer. Before I say that, I just wanna know who I'm praying with. Could you quickly slip up a hand and look at me as well so that I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you. Got you in the back there. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Got you, thank you. Sorry, I missed you there. All right, a couple people saying yes to Jesus. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. You just repeat after me in your heart. Jesus, today I give you my life. I hand it over to you. I thank you that you gave your life for mine. I choose to follow you. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you came and you died and your body was broken so that my life could be made whole. And I believe that because of you, a way has been made for me to spend an eternity with you. So help me to be your disciple. Help me to walk in your ways. Help me to be fully dependent on you for everything. And as I do, I thank you that when I stand before you in heaven, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. I trust you with everything today. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for those making that decision today? Real quickly, before we get out of here, if... uh, phone out. If you just prayed that prayer, um, I want to help you take your next step. We are incredibly passionate about that around here. There's a card in one of the seats near you called the Next Steps card. And I know that some of you might be here for the first time and you're like, I already filled one of these out. Please take a moment and fill out another one if you just prayed that prayer. Uh, give us your name, check the box. that I made a decision to follow Jesus. And at the conclusion, you can take this back to our Connect table hand it over to them. They are going to give you a free Bible, just for uh, for bringing over the card. But they're also gonna tell you about something called First 40. We think the first 40 days of your journey are so, so important. It's where patterns are established and this new life is is taking rhythm. And we've got some personal coaches around here that wanna teach you how to read the Bible, how to pray, what it looks like to take your next steps, how to be in godly community. In fact, your very next step, as we shared earlier, is water baptism. To take that next step and let the old you die and a new you come up out of those waters so that you can walk in freedom and if you haven't been water baptized you can check that box on there as well but really we just want to help you get started strong on this journey so please take advantage of that also uh, I know we mentioned at the beginning if any of you are interested in serving in that kids space uh, my wife will be over there at the kids area uh, to meet you as well at the conclusion so why don't we stand to our feet I'm gonna have our prayer team come this direction if you can wade your way through all the scraps of bread and you need prayer come on down this way we'd love to pray for you Uh, Otherwise, there are donut holes and coffee on the porch. Feel free to linger around and meet somebody. And uh, thank you guys for coming to church. We'll see you Tuesday on Pursuit or next Sunday at church. Have an amazing one. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.